There's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when you think you've got the hang of it, you're becoming a parent again for your own mom and dad. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Contraception, why not? Our guest today is responsible for many of us being in the sandwich generation in the first place because she had the temerity to publicly defend the church's teaching on love and the family. And it's because of her that many of us didn't join the contraceptive lifestyle. And what do we got to show for it? Well, one thing, large, beautiful families, that's what. And if that wasn't quite enough, she founded the Women's Care Center, too. So even more families were able to realize God's plan for their lives. Her name, Professor Janet Smith. She's a recently retired Father Michael J. McGivney Chair of Life Ethics at the Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. But many of us around here know her from her time at the University of Notre Dame, where she began her teaching career many years ago. Welcome back to town, Janet. Well, it's great to be here, Chris. And, you know, I, wherever I go, it's just beautiful. People come up to me and they tell me about the children that they've had because they listened to my tape and they didn't contracept. And I ask them, I'm going to ask you, Chris, uh, do you have a daughter named Janet? Um, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm told that there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of children that have been born because people listen to my tape and I have not yet heard of one that's named Janet. So I, I mean, it's not that I resent that or anything. It's just a, a fact that I'm observing. Well, it might be that they all recognize that's awfully high bar to set for their daughters. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I may be wrong, but I think we first got to know each other in Texas, mm -hmm. and I was doing some pro-life work, as you were, but you're teaching at the University of Dallas, and I was working with some of the local Dallas Cowboys, and being a New York Giant down there, you can imagine I didn't quite feel at home, but being able to catch up with you at, a, at the end of a long, hard day for dinner or something like that was uh, really an oasis. And I remember sharing with you a disappointment that I had in a project. And I think I said something along the lines like, this event is really taking the joy out of doing what I'm doing. And you said, well, those sorts of things come up to test our intention. Mm. And what you said meant a lot to me, and I remembered it to this day. But it also seemed to me at that time that it must have been born from a lot of experience. It's one of those things uh, you've... You've almost been prophetic the way you put yourself <laughs> out there to do something that's yeah. very logical, but very faith-filled and requiring a lot of faith. Well, you know, some people, I mean, like to be linemen and they like to take hard hits, right? I never want to be a lineman. I don't, I, I played soccer and I didn't like it because someone kicked me once, you know, so <laughs> I'm not a physical hardship kind of person, but I am the kind of person that really likes a challenge. And so a lot of people think I've got this huge virtue because I do these things. And I want to say, it's not really, it, it's, it keeps me going. It gives me adrenaline. You know, it's something that God made me this way. I actually written a, a meditation on stations of the cross for myself that fit myself uh, mm -hmm. very, very clearly. And one of them is this, 
you know, you say, all right, give me that cross. I'll carry that cross. Mm-hmm. I can do it. <laughs> and then before long, you find it's just heavy and you didn't, you thought it would just be glorious. And the fact is it's really heavy and you fall. And it really is the stations of the cross are beautiful that you fall down and you say, if God wants me to do this, and that's what I've learned over the years, instead of saying, oh, here's a great project. Somebody needs to do it. I'll do it. Instead, I say, here's a great project. Somebody needs to do it. Does God want me to do it? Mm. I do a lot more discernment than I used to do. And so, I mean, I am one of those that just love a challenge. I hate bullies. I love to fight bullies. That's been been a big part of my life. There's a story of my mother when she was young that someone bullied her younger brother. And he told her about it at the dinner table. She was maybe 12. And she got it from the dinner table and over to the house of that kid, knocked on the door, went in. And he was sitting at the table with his family. And she she hit him, right? She just hit him. You hit my brother, I'm hitting you back. That was told in my childhood as a great story. I mean, like, this is this is the line that I come from. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, <laughs> I, one time I went to a counselor and said, well, why am I the way I am? And then I, I told that story. And I said, that's the way, that's why I'm the way I am. My mother told this story when I was a kid and said, I want to be like that. I want to hit someone who's hit my brother, you know? So. <laughs> well, that brings us to what I would like to spend the balance of our time today. There's so much that we could talk about. But one thing that we're both sharing is kind of pivoting in a pro-life sort of a way to the other spectrum of life. The name of the show, Sandwich Generation, you know, begins at one point and we're kind of firmly in the middle between the youngsters and uh, mm-hmm. our parents. And there was a period of time not too long ago where you helped your mother at the end of her life. Tell us a little bit about that. How many years and what did that look like? You pretty much put your career on hold a little yeah, bit. And- I, uh, I, I, I rather wish I would have taken a leave of absence, but I, I was able to teach online at a distance. The seminary was incredibly generous with me. So for four and a half years, I shared it with my sister. Six months of the year, each one of us took care of my mother. She took care of my mother in her own home my sister's home, and I took care of my mother in her own home. And then towards the end, the last year and a half, and of course, I didn't know it would be a year and a half. It could have been 10 years. I decided I wanted to be there full time and take care of her in her own home. And it was really something I'd that strangely had, I had no idea what was involved, of course, but I would, I had longed for it because my parents were both very generous people. And almost until they couldn't do it anymore, they would show up at our, wherever we lived and do a blitz you know, they they my dad would do the lawn and do everything, usually buy us a new TV or a washer or something like this, something we needed. He thought we needed, you know, and my mother would just, you know, clean the kitchen and this and that and the other thing and go shopping for you and buy bags full of groceries. And my dad would fill your tank with gas. And I saw someday we have to be in a position to give back. And I've never I've never married and I don't have children. I mean, I was the, you know, the oldest daughter of six. So I had a lot, a lot of child care when I was young, but that's a, that was a lot of years ago. And so really having day by day, hour by hour to be responsible for someone else. I hadn't had that since I was 18. And I felt that I really needed that. And so uh, this opportunity to care for my mother was um, a real, I could see it as a blessing. Of course, I had no, again, how hard it was going to be and how wonderful it was going to be. Being the oldest of six leads me to believe that there are other people involved in this. So before even jumping into that situation, you're probably negotiating with the others and <laughs> yeah. finding I, your place yeah. within the 
realm there. How did that work? Well, actually, I'm not the old, I'm the oldest daughter in the six. I have an older brother and we've always told him he's worthless as far as, you know, leadership. It is the case. I mean, they say if, if, if a girl's been born within a year and a year and a half after the boy, the girl takes over. She's, she's really essentially the oldest one in the family. And, and that's what, my brother's not worthless, but it's been a family joke. Well, it was a close um, one for me then. It was a close for you, yeah. yeah I was one. My brother, I had a number two was a brother, so yeah. No, the, the girl will take over. I took over. Uh, I've always been the boss. So we, we have a family picture of there were first there were four and then there were two. But when the first four went off to Gettysburg, a big thing for my family to go take a look there. Everybody else bought. Well, the two brothers were private hats and my sister got a big you know bows you know straw hat i got a general's hat <laughs> how <laughs> many it, stars it, yeah and it shows me marching them up and down the front of the hotel you know march 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 anyway so that's always been the case yeah there was there is certainly some tension in the family on how to uh take care of my my mother and i would say that was possibly the hardest part of it because everybody was good-willed you know there wasn't it weren't some people being selfish or not wanting to do for mom what's best and I had become a consecrated virgin just a couple of years before this happened. And I really felt that God gave me the graces to learn how to stand up for what I thought was right. And people might think, well, you shouldn't have any trouble doing that. And I said, well, I'm always defending the church's teaching. It's not my teaching, you know, so that's decided for me. And when I have to go up against someone I really love who sees things differently from how I see them, I'm more inclined to succumb to that, you know, and just say, okay, we'll do it your way. But I, I didn't think that way was the right way. There was those who wanted to put my mother in a nursing home, you know, for her own good. And, as, and when that time did come, uh, when we had to put her in hospice, I did agree to it. I could see it was best for her mm-hmm. and she would get better care there, which she did. She actually rallied for a couple months because she got better care. <laughs> you know, we, we said, oh, she's bedridden. She's this, she's that. And got there and she's all of a sudden she's not bedridden she's not this and she they said why did you tell us well she was when she was with me because you know? <laughs> i just wasn't i wasn't the general I, told me to stay put yeah right no she was just hard for me to get up and down and all of that and they know all the techniques when i was taking i remember one famous day where i'm trying to move her around the house take her outside to the front porch and there's a threshold and again for females just a, any little threshold to, you know lift a, a large woman and a a wheelchair over yeah. that threshold mix. Mm-hmm. I, you know, out and then back and I, she has to go to the restroom. So I hit this door jam. I hit that door jam. <laughs> I hit this wall, another door jam, another, I get her to the restroom up and down. And I take her back to her arrest and, and she put her on the bed and she goes, Oh God, just, just 10 minutes gone. Just 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, cause she was just oh, being just jerked all over the place. <laughs> Dodge him cars. Yeah. Another time I did that, it's hilarious. The whole thing, the whole thing outside in the restroom, bed, put her in the living room and we're sitting there and she says, I think I have to go to the restroom. I said, Mom, you just went to the restroom. She says, no, I, th- I think I need to go. And I said, no, Mom, really, you, ju- you just went, Mom. And then she sat there for a while. She said, you know, she said, if if there were a friend here and the friend needed to go to the restroom, <laughs> would you let them? And I said, yeah. And she said, suppose someone walking, some friend was walking down the street and knocked on the door and needed to go to the restroom. Would you would you let them? I said, yes. She said, suppose some perfect strangers came to the door and knocked and said, okay, Okay, mom, <laughs> we'll do it all over again. But I mean, this is a woman who can't remember whether she had lunch or didn't have lunch or anything, but she mm-hmm. could engage in that kind of a an exchange. Every day there was something like that where she beat me. She would beat me almost every time. I mean, one time I'm with my one of my nephews and she loves ice cream. So we go to get our ice cream. She wanted a, a waffle cone and they didn't have any little, she only wants a little scoop of ice cream, just a little scoop, but they didn't have any little waffle cones they gave her a big one with a little scoop in it 
And she looks at this. She says, well, this is dumb. Dumb. It's really dumb. Why would anybody give you such a big waffle cone? Well, mom, because they didn't have small ones. Well, this is really dumb. Who would eat this kind of a waffle cone anyway? It, it makes it sound like she's a kind of bitter person, but she was she was hilarious. And I'm saying, no, mom, no, no, no. They they gave it to you. You don't have to eat it all. I said, I think, I don't think most people eat the whole cone. They just eat some of it and they throw the rest away. She looks at my nephews with us and she says, you ask her a question, you get an answer, and you have no idea whether it's true or not. <laughs> it's just like she had my number every step of the way. It was hilarious. She was still in charge. She was so in charge in that way. And things like she, my mother was an extraordinarily neat person. I am not. And that was a, a tension between us. You know, she sort of let me keep my room as I wanted to, but she would sort of walk. Even at this stage, huh? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, even, oh, especially, I mean, you know, you, habits, some habits, they're just part of life. But, you know, she, she anything that wasn't where it's supposed to be would disturb her. And so I would just tell the, the nieces and nephews, because those that came overnight, I said, take everything in your room and lock the door. Don't, don't leave any, or just shut the door, but don't leave a book here or your computer here, or your phone there. It just really disturbs her. And you start to start and see that. And she wants everything how she knows how it's supposed to be. Hmm. So, but I mean, like one time I get got up and I had a nap and I didn't remake my bed. So she comes up to me, puts a little face right up to my face. She says, when did you decide it was no longer important for you to make your bed? <laughs> 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 Another one was like, and you call that making your bed? She says to me, it's just like, <laughs> I'm sitting at my computer, I like guess, little face right in front of my face asking me these questions. And I just have to laugh, you know, because you're just trying so hard. Okay, I got a nap and I could go answer some emails. So I jump up before she'll get up. I get to go do some things, go do yeah. them. And then, it, you know, something's out of, out of sync. <laughs> But trying to be more understanding about her confusion and her needs always have to go first. Would and, that be the biggest thing that you would do differently? Yeah. And other people may not be that sarcastic, so they don't have to worry about that. But for yeah. me, that was a huge – in retrospect, when I look back, I think I wish I would have just been – whenever she was feeling uh, whatever her, her disorientation – I would not have tried to tease her out of it. I would have entered into it with her. Hmm. And and those were the most, those were my best times when I would say, I understand how confusing this is. I understand that it's confusing for you to having people come into your home and doing things. I know that that's hard. Instead, I'd say, well, what do you mean this is hard? You're like the queen of the universe and you've got everybody working for you. And she's like confused. I'm finding it disorienting. Why are you telling me it's, it's, you know, teasingly, it's a great thing. So yeah. I would try to just enter into wherever she was. A few times I did that. She, again, she, she'd have these moments where she'd take a teddy bear, she'd lie on the, on the bed. And I'd say, what are you doing, mom? And she says, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling my sorrow today. And I'd say, I, you know, those times I didn't know, okay, mom, let me just turn down the lights and put a blanket over you and just feel your sorrow, you know, and let her do it and not think that, oh, my, my job is to entertain her or, or to coax her out of that. Just mm -hmm. let her do it. Mm -hmm. One day we're leaving the house and she's leaving the house with a caretaker. And I did get a lot of help. And I have, always have to make that clear. I was not on my own. We had a woman come, but took her out for about six to six or seven hours, four days a week. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And if you can get that, do it. Was and, that a part of a service that you had? Or? No, we hired a woman from the community who I love beyond all telling. She loved my mother, not as much as I did, but she loved my mother. Mm -hmm. And she loved me and she loved the family. And it was unbelievable. We loved her. And then one day a week, I would leave sometime during the day and come back the next evening 
So I got a night. I, I drive about 45 minutes an hour away to an Airbnb or something and just sleep <laughs> and pray and read and sleep and pray and read and come back. And that was incredibly healing for me. And most people don't get that kind of help. And my mother was easy in the sense of her temperament. I mean, she never was mad. She yeah. never was bitter. And even those exchanges were mostly, <laughs> mostly funny, mostly funny. Yeah. How about other senior services in the area? Did you yeah. have to wear a lot of hats? You had to talk with doctors. Did you have to do some estate planning for your mother when she was in that condition? And my sister had done almost all of that. And my dad was very responsible. When my, my dad died a couple of years before she did. And I'm telling you, he had everything just lined up. I mean, my dad was very good at getting that in order. But it's amazing how many doctor's appointments you need. Get the nails cut, get the hearing needs tested, do this, do that. You know, and then there'll be a fall and she needs physical therapy. Therapy and it's every day mm -hmm. it is something. The caretaker took her every day to the senior center, which was oh, very a, good. a marvelous place. You know, and they would have all sorts of physical exercises. She did these core development, you know, a standing up and down. And mm -hmm. one time we were at a dinner table and this guy is about 10 years younger than she is. You know, and she's, they're telling about this and, and, and oh, does it really work? And she like, she, you know, 12 times she got up and down from the chair. You know, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it once. It was hilarious. So those things, there was also a daycare. There was a, a senior daycare mm -hmm. that if the, the caretaker was away, we could take her. And when we first started taking her, it was not a good idea. She was just too sharp for what was going on there. And she felt that she was being warehoused. Yeah. All right. Later, it was fine. You know, she enjoyed the bingo games and that sort of thing. But first, she didn't. But one day, I, again, this is the kind of foolish things I would do. I took her in and the women are playing a game and, and I said, what kind of prizes do you get? And they get a little bit of candy and this sort of thing. And I said, well, you know, is there any, any, any cash prizes? You know, they said, no. I said, well, I wouldn't play if there weren't cash prizes. So just joking around, joking around. So I come back, pick up my mom and I said, how was today? And, and they said, well, she wouldn't play any games. <laughs> they asked her why. She says, because there aren't any cash prizes. <laughs> So she so did I, pay attention to I you. had to be careful with what I said. <laughs> it was that sort of thing. You're like, oh boy, be careful. Yeah. And how long were you doing that? You you, you had mentioned you did it for a period of time and then readjusted it, your schedule again. What did that yeah, look again, like? Again, it was four years. Half a year I would be in Ypsilanti, Detroit area, to teach at the seminary in, in person. And then as soon as the semester was over, I'd come back to Pennsylvania and moved my mother from her, my sister's home back to her own home. Did that for four years. And then there was a point that it just seemed to me it was too hard for my sister to have her in her own home. And it was better for my mother to be in her own home. So I decided to move back to Pennsylvania. And then I taught all my courses online, mm -hmm. which is a bit too much. I mean, friends told me, my friends always tell me the right thing. And I usually ignore it. You know, Janet, Take a leave of absence. Don't try to teach while you're doing this. Oh, no, I can do it. I can do it. Never but, done anything like that. That's so, yeah. you don't know when the you end. You don't know what you can do. And, right. Or when the end is. Right? right. That's right. I may have come to that decision myself if it had lasted longer. But there was a time again where I was having a very, she was clearly fading and fading fast. Right. It's one of those things where steady state, steady state, steady state. And then all of a sudden it's pretty clear there's a decline. And we'd started having hospice come into the house to help. And okay. what does that um, look like when you have hospice? Again, it, for the most part, it was wonderful. I mean, it, there was a, there was a woman who came in. Oh no, for my mother, fine. With my dad, that we were filling out some forms. I, I mentioned to you, uh, five wishes, where it says what you what you want done at the end of life. Oh, it's okay. Some so final we, arrangements, or yeah, okay. we sat around with my dad trying to see what he would want. 
And, you know, of course, whenever it was a question about end-of-life care, I would always say, well, we want to put down here that he's a Catholic and he wants all his decisions made in accord with Catholic moral teaching. And this, this hospice person is glaring at me. She says, no, 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 he can answer for himself. I said, yeah, okay, well, ask him. He said, yeah, what she, what she said, you know, he points at me. Yeah. And then we get to another one, you know, and I'd kind of answer. And she said, let him answer for himself. <laughs> you know, he says, well, what she says, you know. And then, <laughs> and then we got, we, and, and this woman was just making me mad because, you know, it was just like somehow it was more important for him. I mean, that's fine. Get his agreement. I don't want to impose anything on him but i wasn't i knew it and i knew my dad wouldn't know to say it that way you know and i knew that when i said it that way he would agree with it if you ask him do you want aggressive care at the end of life Mm -hmm. he doesn't know what that means and so i say well just write down he wants it in accord with catholic moral principles and and his daughter knows what those are so put his daughter's name right by there you know and my dad's oh yeah yeah what she says you know (laughs) but anyway so i was mad at that as far as the the care that they gave it was fantastic i mean just so they come in and you know, give her a bath and change the sheets and answer any questions I had, you know, and just check her vitals and all of this. But there again was a coming a point where I was just getting exhausted and not making good decisions myself mm-hmm. and worried that my exhaustion would result in bad care for her. Mm-hmm. And so my sister said, well, you know, Janet, as long as she signed up for hospice, she could actually go and stay in the hospice house, which I, you know, and it was right down the street. And it was a, it was a beautiful house, the same vintage as my parents' home. Not many people have this again. Looking back on the same wooded area that our horse mm-hmm. li- lived on just a mile down the road. Nice. So my sister says she could go there anytime. Are you ready for that? And I said, oh yeah, I'm ready for that. So she called him up and within an hour, they want my mother there. I'm not ready for this. My mother's not ready for this, you know, but that you lose your window. If I'd known that they told us later that most people die on the way to the hospice place because most people don't take advantage of it, right? Or most, the next biggest category is within 24 hours, right? As I said, I, my mother got there. She loved the place, honestly. At one point, she's lying in her bed and she says, it's so beautiful here, you don't really want to go to sleep. I mean, that's what you want to no, hear. No, you know, and there were, I would say the Warren's finest, this is Warren, Pennsylvania, uh, women that I went to high school with years before or after me, they would volunteer four hours a week. So I knew these women, at least by reputation, you know, when I was in high school. They were the finest people. They volunteered four hours a week, you know, and, and then they had hired staff that were just angels. They only would take three people. So my mother gets there. And she's there for a week and then two weeks and they're allowed to stay something up to six months. Nobody ever does, you know, but I, I said, are you going to send her home? I said, if she's going to come home, I'm, I'm happy, but are you going to send her home? And he said, oh, no, she's not going to make it. She just is rallying right now. Mm-hmm. But she was there, I think, almost two months. Mm-hmm. You know, we were there every day. I was there all day with her, mm-hmm. you know, when she gets up in the morning, goes, in fact, it's like, when are you leaving? <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know she's in a good spot. Yeah, right. Well, you're retired now. Yes. I enjoy your your email uh, signature, something about retired, but tired, but retired. Tired and retired, but not down and out. There you go. And you've right. got a new project you're telling me about. I have a talk called Theology of the Old Body, which is based upon all these anecdotes of my time with my mother. Oh, I, beautiful. I, would, to- I posted them on Facebook, and that's my source now for them. I'm going to try to put a book together, not just of my own experience with my mother, but it's it's a great bond with people. I mean, those who have done this, you, immediately you understand each other. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I did it for this long. And yeah. they have all these stories. And so I want other people's stories to be told too about, and some of them are very different, stories of people who are estranged from their parents their whole life. 
and uh, took care of them. And then there's some sort of beautiful reconciliation, at least that they knew that they loved each other, even though it might never have been spoken. But there was clearly a new understanding that had been been achieved that probably couldn't have been done unless this person had gone into some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia and just been more vulnerable and recognizing that they were being cared for. I think so many people have beautiful stories. The first time I gave the talk, it was a, a Theology of the Body conference, and mine was on Theology of the Old Body. Though, I, as I said that night, some of the wretched organizers wanted to call it euthanasia. Why not? <laughs> they didn't really. really it, they didn't really. But it was just that, you know, morbid humor. But anyway, uh, no, I have a podcast, a uh, webcast, I guess you call it, uh, with a friend of mine, Tom Curran, who lives on the uh, West Coast. He has nine children. And a lot of it, his story of trying to raise nine children in the faith. And then, of course, I'm now the senior citizen. And I talk a lot about what we had found ourselves talking on the phone a lot about the problems in the church. And we decided that a lot of the mainstream Catholic media is only very gingerly talking about all the problems in the church. And then you have this other media that's hammering hard at it every day, all right, sometimes in a tone that a lot of people can't handle, very critical, snarky sometimes, etc. We had all these, but we thought, <laughs> we thought they were great conversations and that the world would want to hear our conversations. So we started this webcast called the Janet Smith and Tom Curran review. We put it out once or twice a week. It's about an hour. You can find it on YouTube, the Janet Smith and Tom Curran review. He asked me why my name came first. I said, well, J comes before T. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I know my my wife enjoys getting some of your Facebook things occasionally and she shares them with me. Uh, uh, Really appreciate your witness and all that you've done for us and continue to do for us. And thank you for being here with us today. Oh, it's been fun. You're very good at this. If you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it away, it becomes everlasting life. This is not a command, but a description about the way things really are. And as we've been discussing, it's a truth that can be lived between a man and a woman in marriage and also in caring for their aging parents. The unifying theme is wisdom, which is the Old Testament book of the same name. And wisdom is recognized there as the Holy Spirit. And a beautiful description could be found in chapter 7, ending in these words. Though wisdom is but one, she can do all things. And while remaining in herself, she renews all things. And every generation she passes into holy souls and makes them friends of God and prophets, like our friend Janet Smith. And if this is how you would like to live your vocation in the sandwich generation, we would like to send you our booklet, Friends of God. It contains many pages of beautiful original artwork, inspiration, and prayers, and it also contains instruction for saying the Holy Rosary, which is, as you know, Our Lady's favorite prayer. And being close to her will teach us to be open to the Holy Spirit, whose help we'll need because without him we can do nothing at all, much less give the best of ourselves. So stay tuned for more information on how you may receive one. And thank you for joining us today. And I hope you'll join us next time on The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey, where we are better because of each other. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how you can protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-0000.
or email them at info at godfreelawoffices.com. And for a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to RedeemerRadio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey, a production of Redeemer Radio.